Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello, you're very welcome to The Tonight Show. This evening, a climate crisis special. Minister Eamon Ryan and Sinn Féin's Darren O'Rourke face off to debate the big issues that will affect us now and in the years to come. And I'm live in County Clare, where we will be speaking to the people on the ground affected by climate change and businesses doing their part to cut their carbon footprint. The government has survived a motion of no confidence. It was brought about by Sinn Féin after the government lost its majority last week. But with the help of independents, the coalition pulled through 85 votes to 66. Well, ahead of that vote, there were some fiery exchanges across the dial floor. This is a good time to take stock of the past two years. More importantly, it is also a good time to start having an honest debate between two very different views about how we can serve the Irish people and address their concerns. Fundamentally, this is a debate between those who believe in tackling problems and those who believe in exploiting them. Government, you see, doesn't get to stop at empathy. You don't get to empathise and then do nothing for people who are overwhelmed by a cost of living crisis that we haven't seen since the 1980s. It's the responsibility of government to act because empathy without help or action is just pity. And workers and families don't want your pity. Well, a short time ago, I spoke to Virgin Media News political correspondent Gavin Riley, and I asked him whether the result was a comfortable one for the government in the end. Yeah, if the intention had been to try and underline how frail the government was to really compound this idea that now it was a minority and it was trying to put together something case by case, then really the argument appears to have been very fatally undermined because the final score, uh, tall 85 TDs in favour of the government, 66 against and one abstention. And actually there were quite a few um, absentees for one reason or another as well between TDs who are currently ill or have bereavements or who are away for other reasons. The government could have had as many as 88 supporters. So really when you're talking about a house of 160 and you're thinking about the government only having 79 in its parliamentary parties, really it's quite a good performance and maybe in fact it sort of undermines one of the big uh, traps that we fall into often because we think of the Dáil as being split into two fairly equal halves where government is one half and opposition is another half and the opposition is a homogenous thing which if it got its act together could form a government. And actually what it proved tonight is that not alone is the government, you know, fairly balkanised in terms of the, the party makeup, even though they were all in favour of the same motion this evening, there are so many independents in the House that if you split them 50-50, then basically the government carries the day pretty equally. So a pretty comfortable evening for the government in the end. I mean, we spoke last night about, you know, backbench TDs and cabinet ministers sort of limping towards the summer recess, bring on Thursday. And we spoke also about there being kind of poor morale perhaps within the coalition. I wonder has that all been boosted this evening? Uh, certainly can't have been any harm because the idea that, I mean, there would have been plenty of government backbenchers who would think, God, you know, how, how healthy are we? We're going to make it to recess, but how are we going to do for the budget, which is going to be a couple of weeks early? So basically you're straight back into that in September. And this will underline that actually things aren't as frail as they are because you will always find some independents who will vote in favour of something or even when it comes to, the, when push comes to shove, you don't necessarily need them to vote in favour of what you're doing. You just need them not to vote again either. So there's always a little bit of rigour room. You can certainly imagine that they will have a little bit of a morale booster now because they're not going to go into the recess cowering, wondering what is going to come around the corner. Um, but I wouldn't be too foolhardy either because just because there were 85 TDs in favour this evening, do bear in mind that a lot of the independent TDs said they were going to vote in favour of the government because they did not want to collapse the government now and cause a general election when there was such a need for a budget to deal with the cost of living. That puts a lot of uh, stakes on that budget about the cost of living. It's going to be a couple of weeks after they come back from the summer recess. 
you're going to be looking at a situation where you will have 79 TDs that are, you know, within the, the coalition parties. First of all, you have to do everything to make sure that they are all on side. You'll have the usual auction about how much goes on the pension, how much goes on the dole and what have you. But then you have to also make sure that you keep the likes of Nasa Harrigan and Patrick Costello and Joe McHugh and Mark McSharry on side and a couple of those other independents who will only support the government case by case. And if it is a budget which isn't seen to do enough or doesn't put enough money in people's pockets, you can't be necessarily sure that you will have all the supporters then as you did tonight. So very briefly, Gavin, what did Sinn Féin achieve by putting down this motion today? Uh, they got a good hour nearly of dull time to, to have a bit of a go at the government and dominate a lot of uh, social media material and uh, TV news bulletin time to, to really ar articulate their point. Um, if it was to try and underline that the government was frail, then it didn't achieve that. Um, one thing that they may have achieved, though, is underlining that you know the independents are not all ad idem either. And if you are already thinking about the next election, some of the places where Sinn Féin can gain, it is maybe some of those independents who might be the ones that are first in the firing line. Um, they are the ones whose support nationwide has fallen and if there is to be another Sinn Féin pickup in some of those constituencies maybe now they can point to the areas where the local TD supported the government at a time that it was deeply unpopular and maybe you can identify those as being the ones vulnerable for next time. Uh, Gavin Riley there, our political correspondent. I'm joined by a leader of the Green Party and Minister for the Environment, Climate, Communications and Transport, Eamon Ryan. And I'm also joined this evening by Sinn Féin's climate spokesperson, Darren O'Rourke. Now, we have lots to talk about with the climate crisis, but first I would like to get a reaction from tonight's uh, vote. Darren, it was your motion, the Sinn Féin motion. Uh, it was called a political stunt, and if it was that, it clearly failed this evening. No, I think it was a serious move in terms of democracy, in terms of our responsibility to hold government to account. We have lost faith, not that we had any in this government. We believe that the public have lost faith in this government. And but the doll hasn't lost faith well, because well, it was a pretty well, healthy majority, well, wasn't well, it, member, in the members, end? Members of, of government voted against government in, 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 in recent weeks. Um, uh, not tonight, although I will say that the margin was a lot closer than it was the last time there was a, a no confidence motion. Um, I think if you look at the, uh, if you listen to the debate, if you look at the government's track record in terms of health, in terms of housing, in terms of the, the cost of living, uh, um, I, I think people uh, are really angry out there and they are looking for a general election and they're not just looking for a, a change of Taoiseach, they're looking for a change of government. Uh, Eamon Ryan, uh, as Gavin Riley was saying there, look, you'd be foolhardy to be, take too much confidence from that vote tonight because the pressure and the focus now is really on the budget and how you keep uh, those that you've lost within your own party, uh, those that they've lost within uh, Fine Gael and Fine Foyle and the independents on site. Um, yeah, there's a challenging time ahead of us all in this country and across the Western world. We're at a time of real challenge. But what that vote did is a strengthened resolve of the government to try and serve the people as best we can through these difficult times. They don't want the general election? They don't want a general Darren's election. Talking about. Why would they, what's that going to bring in the middle of this you know, kind of real crisis of cost of living? Maybe improvement in health policy and housing months. policy and cost of living policy? Well, there's no real, you know, the real cost of living challenges come from external factors. Where there's no magic wand, rhetoric is not going to just resolve. But you can do more on fuel prices, for example. Yeah, you can will. do you Andrew can do will. more. For example, Andrew. all right. And we're, we're, to be honest, Andrew. I just I'm Andrew. conscious of time this evening, not having that debate again. And we will in the budget. But what's clear, I don't believe the Irish people want a general election this time. I don't think they want the populist politics that has beset Britain and America. And they want us to work together in the Dáil to provide real solutions. Government is committed to, to doing that. All right. Well, speaking of uh, crisis and things this government or the next government needs to solve, uh, climate is certainly a crisis. Ireland is now on a legally binding path to net zero emissions no later than 2050 and to a 51% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by the end of this decade. But where are we with that pledge? Eamon Ryan, um, the Environmental Protection Agency said uh, very recently that as it stands, with you know the measures you have in place, our emissions would only fall by 28% by 2030, way off that 51% target. So as it stands, we're failing. Yeah, we'll have to Your go government's failing. We'll have to go further. And the scale of the change is beyond compare. It has to be a change towards a better system. We won't make it by kind of waving our finger at people, blaming people, putting it all up to the householders. We do have to help create a better economy, one where we're not as exposed to these high fossil fuel prices. Like this war is actually going to drive us to make the change quicker, not just for climate reasons, not just to restore biodiversity, 
but also to bring security to our country so that we're not exposed to high fossil fuel prices. So we will need to go further. We will need to go further in tapping into our renewable power, particularly offshore wind, where we have at scale huge resources. We will need to go further in transport, and this is a difficult thing to do because it's about reallocation of road space to make pu public transport work really well and active travel work really well. But that also creates a better system for everyone. We will have to go further in agriculture, and we will have to do that in a way that works for particularly a new generation of young farmers. So we retain family farms so that we give a good income to family farm people on the back of actually protecting okay. nature and restoring nature. You mentioned so, all those sectors there and um, I know at the moment you're trying to reach agreement on uh, the emission cuts that every sector uh, needs to achieve. Uh, it was meant to be agreed by the end of June. It still hasn't been agreed and we're all being told, we're all reading that the holdup is uh, the difficulty in coming to an agreement with agriculture. So agriculture Agriculture is the biggest emitter, isn't it, in this country? Have, is that where the difficulty is? I think agriculture and transport, those two areas are going to be the most difficult. In energy, I think we'll make it because, as I said, we have such an advantage and fossil in, in our own power yeah. and fossil fuel is so expensive. Okay, I just want to sort of switch. stick with agriculture just so, at the yes, moment. Yes, there's a real challenge in agriculture. But I believe we can deliver it in a way that, as I said, provides a higher income to Irish farmers, which is the key way of us making this, this, this change. That'll come from a variety of different further measures. Firstly, really developing forestry in a way that it fits in with farming. Not that we're covering every farm in trees, particularly not with the kind of plantations of just single species conifers, mm -hmm. but stitching in native forest within our farming system and giving an income to farmers for that. Okay, I just so, sorry, I, I understand some of the, uh, the policies. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they're kind of fairly well covered. Uh, the actual target for agriculture, uh, the cuts within agriculture, I think you want it to be around 30%. Is yeah, that correct? Each sector And has, Charlie McConnell, the Minister for Agriculture, wants it to be closer to 22%. Each, so, each sector has a what's range. What's the agreement? There isn't an agreement yet, and I hope, I expect we will get agreement in the coming weeks. Where do you think the, that number should be at? Because I'm obviously, not, you know, all these policies don't mean anything unless we have a particular target. Well, it will be ambitious because every sector is going to be required to be. It, uh, the level of change in agriculture, even at the lower end, is beyond compare, but I believe we will have to go towards the higher end. I towards believe, the 30? Yes, but if I can just make, make, make the point. The way we've designed our approach to climate change is that it would keep evolving, that we will be held to account if we're not delivering and then have to change policies so we catch up. So it's not a fixed moment in time. It is, and we will also have to learn, in agriculture particularly, one of the projects we're working on is a review of how we use our land. And actually that, which is halfway through, is going to be critical to work out where is the best place to put these new forests? How do we right. store carbon in our peaty soils? What type of farming or how do we reward the type of farming that helps us meet the, meet the targets? So okay. if we'll continue to evolve, we will learn by doing. And if we don't meet the targets, then we change policies. So this is going to be a changing policy approach to make right. sure we get there. Um, Darren O'Rourke, um, around 30%. That's where you think this cut It'll needs be to be. Mary Lou MacDonald has been asked specifically on a number of occasions for a target for cuts within agriculture. And she has refused to commit to one. You're the climate spokesperson of Sinn Féin. Will you put a figure on it tonight? Well, I, I won't because Sinn Féin are specifically excluded from this conversation. Um, well, you're included this not, evening. We're having not, a debate between the opposition and uh, the government and okay. you hope to be in the next government. Yeah. So will you put a figure on that and why won't you put a figure on it? So the reason I won't put a figure on it is because the modelling, the detailed research and data analysis that the government have in... Uh, in the, the Climate Change Advisory Council and also in their, in their, their, their uh, in, in private uh, advice as well, has not been shared with the opposition. We specifically sought it. There's a McKinsey report. There's other private research that feeds into the models that, that indicates whether we should be at whatever percentage. And it's not just for agriculture, it's for other sectors. But so I, you can't I'll tell make... me whether you think sort of somewhere between 20% and 30% is verging on too high or too low? No, we can't. But what we can say is from the Climate Change Advisory Council, we know that the ranges are there and we did engage with the, the Climate Committee in relation to that. What I can say 
is that we agree with the 51% target. We agree that every sector needs to do their fair share and also that there needs to be engagement. That, you know, and, and, and All right, I, I, I suppose we just really want to talk about the policies, yeah. I suppose, that yeah. are going to get oh, no, us to for that sure, 51% for, for sure, this for sure. evening. And that's exactly what I want to do as well. So, for example... The, the, the focus in relation to agriculture, and it's significant that there is a focus in relation to agriculture because there are other areas that have as much or more to do in relation to it. The focus within agriculture on the herd number, for example, is, is significant. I might but you don't agree I, with cutting the herd, but do I, you? I, no, no I, I don't agree with cutting the herd, but I, I do agree in the first instance with the low-hanging fruit in terms of forestry, in terms of organics, in terms of uh, energy production within farming. Yes. There's huge opportunity there. Even Before, though but, sort of the environmentalists that we would have on this programme say you will never, ever reach the cuts that you need to within agriculture by dealing with just those low-hanging well, 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 fruit. Well, the truth is we don't know, and certainly we in Sinn Féin don't know because we haven't got access to the information, and we would like access right. to, to the information. But, but I think there's an important point in relation to it. If a just transition means anything, it means working with sectors and not running them off a Cliff edge. And I think that's an okay. important principle that needs uh, to apply. Eamon Rain, is cutting the hair off the table for you? Can I say, this won't work. The scale of change we need to make, if this is about divisive politics and it's blaming one I sector agree. versus I the agree. other. And I, myself and Darren, will work together on this because the work that he's doing and others on the Climate Committee is central to our approach. Okay, that I just... a really good analysis. If I'm, I just can make I'm just conscious I, of time I, here I, I, and there's but, lots but, to get firstly, through. And it's a really, really big issue for any of our rural viewers. Agreed. What is your position in terms to, of cutting the hair? I agree with what the committee, Darren, was on, the work you did this week, saying one of the ways we can create new income to farmers is using anaerobic digestion mm. so that some of the grass we're currently giving to cattle go instead to create our own yes. gas. So we don't okay. have to buy Porsche gas. Okay, just, just, I know, I know, but I just want an answer to answer on this because it's a, it is pretty much a clear so yes or no answer. That one cut the herd or not cut the herd, Minister. We won't have as many cattle, but we will have greater income. And that's the sort of choices that I think we need to make because that's okay, what so matters to the Irish family. So you think don't cut the herd? We will have to switch and change Irish agriculture, it will introduce a whole range of new streams of income. Okay, but you're still not making it very clear will, to our viewers this will, evening which and to the tens have, of thousands of farmers. Do you think the herd will, needs to be cut or not, will, Minister? It will see a lower number in the herd, but the critical thing is it has a higher income to the farmers and that's what matters. But, okay, okay, I just want to move on because there's lots to cover this evening. It, it depends. It depends on whether the government gets their act in order in terms of forestry, in terms of those other alternative streams. That, All right. that, that's the, the, the real important factor in terms of agriculture. Okay, I want to move on to transport because that's the second biggest uh, emitter of greenhouse gas. Uh, within the programme of government, there was a commitment to ban diesel and petrol uh, cars by 2030. Will that be implemented? Yes, and Europe is also backing that up with a 2035 ban. So we're doing it because of European legislation, not just Irish legislation. It's another example where we'll make that switch because actually the new electric cars are better cars. They're cheaper to run, they're cheaper to maintain, they're better engines, they're better car. But it can't be just about switching to electric cars. The scale of the change we will need will require us all to switch mode to switch to public transport and particularly to switch to active transport, which is good for our health as well as good for the climate. So how many cars do you think need to come off the road? What I think we do, we need a mix of change, a range of different measures in transport. We need to switch to all the cars being electric within, as I said, these next, this next decade plus all new cars. Secondly, though, we need to reduce the volume of traffic by some 25%. Now, that's really challenging, so it isn't just about... And I think a third measure we will do, we will move to much, much more car sharing and use innovative solutions, because the truth is, the cars park, most people's cars are parked for about 95% of the time. We can save a lot of money by being really clever in how we provide transport okay. services. It's that scale of change, I think, is going to But come. the ban on new petrol and diesel cars from 2030 that was in the programme for government, you're committing to that this evening? We have, within the European rules, we have to follow the European rules. We want to go faster than the European Union, closer to 2030 rather than 2035. So yes, and UK and other countries will be going that way. It makes sense for us to, to do the same. Okay, uh, Darna Work, what is uh, Sinn Féin policy in terms of electric vehicles? How many electric vehicles would you like to see on the road by 20? So the, the target is is uh, a million, and, and that's in the the, the climate action plan. I, I'm not. I, I firmly, I, I don't believe that that's achievable because it, it means essentially every vehicle that's sold between now and 2030 would need to be an electric vehicle. Um, I have to say... I'm, so what would Sinn Féin's target be then? Yeah, well, well, I think the important thing is about the transition and the, the ensuring in the first instance that 
public transport options and alternative options are, because we, we need that modal shift, but also that the... But do you have a target in terms of electric vehicles? I, I don't think it's as simple as, as a target. I think it's about the mix you have in terms of the, 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 the transport uh, um, uh, environment, if you like. And the important point for me isn't the number of electric vehicles. It's that those people who are dependent on their cars now and will be dependent on their cars in the future, um, that they have electric vehicles. For example, a lot of the electric vehicles we sell at the minute and that are bought at the minute are in places where there are very suitable uh, alternative modes of transport. So you have people who are car dependent in dirty petrol and diesel so cars. So what would Sinn Féin do to change that? So, so a couple of things we need to do is we need to enhance the, the affordability of, of electric vehicles. We need to enhance the... the, the so sec that's subsidies. The, the sec yeah, it is. The second-hand electric vehicle market, for example. I think, okay. you know, we've lost with Brexit, we've lost access to, access to Britain. I know second-hand EV dealers are, are frustrated In with that. In terms of subsidies for those electric cars, because I take your point that they're more fuel-efficient, that they're better cars, yeah. etc., but they are expensive. The average, so, the cheapest, I think, electric vehicle, new electric vehicles, but 30,000. So how much of a subsidy would Sinn Féin uh, put forward yeah. for somebody to purchase an electric so, vehicle? So we, we so we support the, the, the value of the current subsidy regime, but not the, the extent of it. So, for example, last year, 5,400 uh, EVs over a value of €50,000 were, were, were bought. So just, I think be, for people. so just to be clear, you don't think the subsidy should be increased? We, we don't believe the subsidy sh should be increased, but the threshold should be reduced, which means that the, 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 the pot is uh, distributed more evenly. So if you, if you can afford a vehicle over €40,000, we don't believe that the, the state should be subsidising that, and that that funding, so the same pot of, fund, of money, should be redistributed to enhance right. the, the second-hand EV market, for I example, and to ensure that, that those areas, you know, I, a, a regional I, distribution. I don't disagree. OK, I, I just, I it's just point. I don't disagree with you on that, term, but I think what we do need to do, the real difficult political thing, is going to be the reallocation of road space. Because the truth is, coming out of COVID, what we're seeing as a characteristic, there isn't as much commuting as there used to be. That road space, which we designed our cities, everyone drives in, everyone drives home. That's not the characteristic that we want into the future. We want to create spaces in the centre of our cities and towns that make, and villages that make them attractive place to live, to raise a family. The difficult political thing, and this is so going to require... So you're talking about cycle lanes and rural roads, is that what you're talking, talking about? We're talking about bus lanes in our cities being advanced rapidly. Okay, and, and then our rural infrastructure areas? As well. Rural areas, you don't need the bus lane because you don't have that volume of traffic. Oh. But in our cities and towns, we need to have political courage, all parties okay. working together, to reallocate road space in the way it's been done out in Black Rock, Dunleary. That sort of quick, really dramatic okay. change. And that's where the political dif difficulty is going to be. Uh, Minister... That requires local councils around the country to actually make the call, yeah, okay, we're going to go for it to create a really attractive local Despite space. Despite opposition, perhaps. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just want to ask you about uh, aviation. It's not part of our uh, carbon budget yet, but there was a story in the paper at the weekend about business class flights, that you as Minister for the Environment have taken one business class flight, I believe, mm. in your time as Minister, but that your Cabinet colleague, Catherine Martin, has taken four business class flights. Um, while she has been minister, along with some of her political advisors and, and press advisors too. At the same time, you have Kieran Cuff, the Green Party MEP, saying we need to you know, get rid of all these cheap 10 euro flights around Europe. They're not good for the environment. Is there not a real hypocrisy there? That on one side, you're saying, stop everybody getting on cheap flights around Europe. But on the other side, you have green ministers hopping on business class flights, which have three times the carbon of an economy seat. Uh, to, to go about their business. Yeah, but you are going about the people's business. You're often getting off that flight and going into 12 hours of meetings, literally one after the other, where you're representing your country on important. And if you can arrive in a way that you actually represent best, then I, then I believe it is appropriate to, to, to uh, take it. Notwithstanding Aviation, the carbon emissions from those business class we tr seats. We try and offset that and do all the other measures and try and minimise travel. But, act but yes, on occasion, do do that. But can I say... But just, just one thing, because you do talk about offsetting. And I did read that statement from Catherine Martin that those flights are offset. They're offset with taxpayers' money. Yes, but you're there representing the people in, as I said... So it's easy to offset it when you're dipping into the exchequer funds to do it, isn't it? But you're there. The most important thing on that is you're there actually representing the country and you want to do your best and you want to be the fittest and, and most able to, to do it. You don't as, think it's a credibility issue? No, I believe it's right to try and represent the country to the best of your ability. But can I say this? No sector is going to be able to avoid responsibility. Aviation is going to be part, has to be part of the solution. And not in this sort of way, 
where we're pointing the finger at people, oh, you've done the wrong thing. If we go down the road of trying climate change people and put all the blame on individuals, it's not going to work. Yeah, but it's but also we, about taking responsibility yeah, and, as you've said time true. and time again, making very practical changes true. and taking a bit of but, pain. But the practical changes will come in a variety of ways. Firstly, the European Union, as I said, is introducing a whole range of legislation to deliver this climate package. Included in that is that there will be a charge on aviation so that it actually All is right. part of the solution. And that is going to be a key element to it. All right, very quickly, uh, Darren O'Rourke. I know Marilyn McDonald is due to take flights, isn't she, to Australia? I think it's next week. Do you know, is she flying economy or business class? I don't. I don't have her, her itinerary. I know uh, I have never flown business class, and I, I do appreciate that that mm. sometimes there may be a case in relation to it. I think, I think the point in terms of, though, you know, we're not going to succeed in terms of our, our climate ambition if it's built on carbon shaming and pontificating. I think we have to engage with people. I think the systems that we develop need to work for people. I think in aviation, we need to look at, you know, is it, okay. is there, are there alternatives? Look at sustainable aviation fluids, sustainable aviation, um, because I, I think people will continue to want to fly. All right, look, we're going to have to leave it there. We didn't get to all um, of the uh, subjects we wanted to get, but I do appreciate you both coming in. My thanks to Eamon Ryan and to Darren O'Rourke. Now let's go live to Spanish Point. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. In County Clare, my colleague Clare Brock is standing by. Thanks, Kira, and welcome to the coast of County Clare. We are here to see how the climate emergency is affecting communities across the country. And I'm joined by the owner of the Armada Hotel here, uh, John Burke. John, you're very welcome along to the programme tonight. A lot of focus on our climate plans and the action that's needed now. Uh, hotels, we know, are notoriously high energy users and they have a large carbon footprint generally. So what are you doing here to try to transform that and what sort of challenges do you face in trying to become a green destination? Yeah, look, as you said, um, uh, hotels are big buildings, they consume a lot of energy. Um, but as an industry, we're, we're hugely aware of that and we're trying to make an impact. I mean, most hotels are based in rural communities. We're very aware of our, of our environment, where we are and the impact we're, we're, we're having on that. Um, you know, for example, here in the Armada, we've, we've switched to uh, Calor Bio LPG a number of years ago and made decisions like that, many decisions like that, that are coming at you know, a cost which you know, is possibly 30% higher than regular LPG, but 
commitments that we're making to the environment, we're trying to stick with them. Um, whether that's bio-LPG, sustainable uh, renewable electricity, uh, or lots of decisions around reduction of energy consumption, um, uh, upgrading boiler heating systems uh, and units like that. I, I guess hotels are traditionally heated off, off oil boilers and you know, that's quite an expensive process to eliminate that. But, you know, hotels like the Armada and here we're, we're undertaking, we're engaged in that process. I think, I suppose, as community hotels that, you know, so many hotels like the Armada are community hotels, uh, we're acutely aware of, of, of our reputation and, and what we stand for. And I suppose we're trying to stand mm. for something different and we're trying to lead the way and make a difference. Yeah, and certainly ecotourism is becoming um, more and more popular. But how important do you think sustainability is to the tourist, is to the visitor? Because we know the high environmental impact of travel in general. Uh, it's becoming more and more relevant to, to tourists. I, I think from our recent research, we see about 10 to 15 percent of our customers. It matters to them, to our leisure customers. Now, where does it matter a lot? It matters a lot to our corporate customers, uh, companies that are taking uh, their employees or their team away uh, uh, for team building or get together or conferencing. Mm. It matters a huge amount to them. Uh, so we can see that, that, that the impact and changes we're making here is, is, is supporting development of that business. Uh, certainly tour operators, while the individual Individual tourists may not make decisions purely based on environmental choices. I suppose there's a little bit of parking up their guilty conscience about environmental impact when they're going away for that well-deserved holiday. But certainly tour operators are making choices. So we can see our German tour operators, we can see Irish companies like uh, Vagabond Tours are, 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 are making a huge impact in making these decisions. And do you think that people are willing to pay for, for that, to pay for that eco experience? Because we know about the cost of living, we know everything is costing so much more. Indeed, your industry has come under fire for high hotel prices so it's about whether people will accept paying more Uh, unfortunately, we seem to have lost uh, sound there, but we will try and go back to Claire uh, shortly. Uh, do join us for lots more on our climate special. We'll be back after the short break. Welcome back to County Clare. We've been hearing about the climate crisis and the huge impact it can have on the world. But what can we do as consumers and businesses? Well, I'm joined here by local business person Sinead Garvey and Harrison Gardner, an eco-builder. You're both very welcome along to the show tonight. Um, Sinead, to come to you first, um, you run two food stores um, locally in Doolan and in Ennistymon. How important is sustainability to your business and was it always the intention to make it a key part of the business plan? It's everything, it's everything. I mean it has to be planned before profit now. It's uh, at a point where we have all the power to sway things back to a sustainable planet and it has to be more important to make uh, the planet a better place than profit. Yeah, explain that um, because we do associate, I suppose, making those changes with something that is costly, certainly initially, even if it has a, a greater positive benefit. As a business owner, were you very well aware of those costs? Did you struggle with them? Never, never. I think it's, um, 
anyone, uh, anyone who is in their right mind knows that it's important to spend, if you're going to eat food or drink food, it's important to play that little bit extra to not damage the, the environment as much. So I've never had anyone question me over prices because they know they're getting the best food, they're getting an organic sausage roll, they're getting an, an Irish farmhouse cheese toasty as opposed to a mass-produced cheddar cheese or whatever. So I've never had any issue with people questioning like even our biodegradable packaging or the compostable cups we use that are composted here in Clare and made in Clare. I think I've never had any issue with it. People come in and they're like happy to pay an extra price for really good quality food. It's yeah. not impacting the environment in a bad way. That, that was my question. As a business owner, obviously it, it costs more for you to introduce different packaging and, and to be more sustainable initially, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. And are those costs always passed on to the customer? I'd nearly take the hit myself better so I would. There's a new, um, like all the prices are going up. All our suppliers have written to us saying they're putting up their prices. And I'm very slow to put the price up. But you see, once, you're, once you know and you have the story about what's happening behind it, people love being educated when they're having interaction with their money. So in one way, if you have the story to explain to them what's happening, they're happy to spend a few extra pence. It's not that much because it is, I mean, it, we used to spend, I think, 90% of our money on our food and now we spend like 25%. So people are happy to kind of prioritize spending their money on good food because it prevents mm. their health expenses. So it's no issue. Harrison, um, you're co-founder of Common Knowledge. Uh, tell us about that. It's about upskilling people uh, to do it themselves, basically, when it comes to something like construction, to be more sustainable. Yeah, exactly. I think the, the key to sustainability is really being able to take as much control and power over your situation as possible. And so at Common Knowledge, we are trying to share the, the knowledge and the skills and the community that someone might need to start taking on some of the problems that they face every day uh, into their own hands. You're looking specifically at the idea of shelter, housing. Absolutely. And how people can maybe upgrade their homes themselves. Is that the big idea? Yeah, you know, with, with the price of everything going up, rent and house prices, and next to the climate emergency is the housing crisis, people are wondering where to look and what's possible for them to do now. And I think one of the, one of the main areas we're trying to serve people is by showing them what they can do with a little bit of training so that the houses that they can now afford, which are in much worse condition than the houses they thought they were going to be able to afford at this point in their life, um, are something that they can work with, that they can renovate, that they can bring these old stone ruins back to life or these terrace houses that have been forgotten about for 10 years. See, I'm listening to that. That sounds like a real labour of love um, and something definitely you would need skills in order to, you know, fulfil the project. But then there's also the cost of materials. They're going up hugely, especially I think everyone has seen it in the past year or as we've been coming out of, of the pandemic. Yeah. So how do you counter that? How does it become a cheaper as well as a greener alternative? Materials get cheaper the closer they are to you. You know, so the trick to making your building as cheap as possible is using whatever you've got access to. And so finding what's available locally, finding what you can get nearby to save transporting something across the continent or across the world to build your house and looking at the way our ancestors used to build houses, how houses were built here in Ireland and really questioning why we stopped building that way. What was the problem that we were trying to solve mm -hmm. and how can we look at that same problem again now, decades later, and maybe come up with a better, more efficient solution rather than these layers and layers of solutions we've added over the, over the years. Do you think that's possible to do in an urban context? Certainly if you're down here in County Clare and you're surrounded by you know, beautiful timber and stone and all of that, yeah. then maybe these things come a little easier um, and you may have local suppliers. Is sure. it different when we're talking about, say, the housing crisis, the need to build many, many homes, that maybe doing something quickly um, rather than what you're talking about, which is slow and sustainable. Sure. Is that possible? No, you can't, you can't have everything. You, you can't have all the houses as quickly as possible and do it sustainably and do it cheaply. You've got to give something up somewhere. And so I think finding the right balance of creating shelter, creating opportunity for people to have shelter and creating ways that they can do it affordably 
you know, it's, it's a very fine balance, but it's possible. And I, I think Ireland-wide it's possible. It doesn't just have to be in the countryside. And maybe there's room for everything. Um, but Sinead, you know, talking there, um, listening to Harrison saying, you know, go local and keep it local. Did you find that limiting in any way? So you own like a cheese shop, food store, there's beautiful food, not just in Clare, but outside of there. Um, but you've cut down on all importation, have you? Yeah, well, like, I mean, we have the best food in the world, I think. We have all the rain, we have all the grass to produce, all the food and all the cheese. So in one way, it's, um, you're forced to be more creative sometimes, but I think it makes a beautiful palette of food in the end and you can't get better. So I don't think it's limiting, I think it's, it's liberating. What do you mm. think are the big challenges, though, for businesses um, to go green? I suppose if they make it a priority and they feel passionate about it, their customers will pick up on that and they'll appreciate if they have to, if they have to pay incrementally more. But it's not that big. Like he said, you know, if, you're, if you're buying locally, you're cutting out the cost of the logistics of getting it from far away to near. And if you're going for maybe a higher turnover and lower margin, that can be just as sustainable as the other way around. So there's always a way if you have passion and you're driven. Mm. Um, and you know we're talking about the scale and, and you when, when, when you're uh, assisting people mm. um, and you're talking about those properties that are affordable to people now, yeah. um, is it affordable to do the work you're talking about on those properties? Yeah, when, when you're when, when we're actually talking about dereliction and, and, and vacant homes and what people would really like to do but whether or not it's worth it. Of course. Well, it's energy one way or another. Either it's your sweat or it's your, your time that you spend earning the money somewhere else and paying someone else to do the work for you. By doing the work yourself, you're, you're kind of cutting out the middleman and you're doing the work and you're, you're putting in the effort and you're making the decisions. And the more control you take over your own project, the more you're able to be in charge of every decision, be aware of every cost and really mm. assess what your priorities are, where you really are happy to invest money in. If sustainability is your priority, then you're going to choose the options that are better for the environment and better for the climate. And if cost is your absolute priority, then you're going to choose the options that feed that, feed that as yeah, well. Yeah, I'm just struck by the fact that while we're talking about being in a climate emergency, we're also in a cost of living crisis at the moment, Sinead. You say that customers are willing to pay that bit more. Do you think that across the board, some people watching tonight will say, look, I simply can't afford to do that. So what can they afford to do and, and, well, and how do you think it's possible? I think what is possible is if your priority is to give your family a healthy meal, you'll spend more money on that and less on your nails, your two sun holidays, your hair. So like whenever I have a meal for myself and my two kids and it might be organic meat with local spuds and local carrots and I say this meal costs like six euros. Everyone can afford that. It mightn't be the three euro meal from Aldi or Lidl but like your health is so much better nutrition wise. So if your priority is your food and your health, you'll spend a little bit extra on your meal, but you'll spend a lot less on your health bill. I know, and I presume the supermarkets as well will say, look, they are being sustainable in what they're trying to, to turn around as well. I'm, I'm wondering that from even a supplier point of view, do you think the pressure is really on people to get with a green agenda? So you talk about packaging, say, on, on cheeses or on yeah. products. I mean, I think There's it's a, lot a good thing. There's a lot of plastic out there. I think it's a good thing that greenwashing is happening. I think if, if the environmental image is selling, then great. Isn't it great? It's finally on trend. The logical thing to do what's sustainable and what works for the planet is suddenly on trend and fantastic. I don't care what their motivation is. It's good for everyone. Mm. And finally to you, Harrison, I suppose looking at your focus being on, on the idea of self-build on yeah. a grander scale, what pointers do you think government could take from projects like yours? Well, I, I think creating creating openings and easier systems and pathways for people to approach self-builds and to consider taking on self-builds. Most people don't even know it's possible to build your own house or illegal to build your own house, but it is and the systems are there. They're just not encouraged or, or really advertised. And I, I think on a, on a large scale, we can all start to open these doors and think about these solutions and give people real options. Okay, we'll leave it there. My thanks to Sinead Garvey and to Harrison Gardner who've joined me. That's it from County Clare. We'll continue our climate special after the break.
uh, is Lassiter scriptus. Let's take stock on all that we have heard this evening. Environmental journalist John Gibbons uh, joins me here in studio on tonight's show uh, regular. Thank you for coming in. Uh, first of all, I suppose I'd like to get your reaction to what um, the Minister for Environment had to say and the Sinn Féin uh, climate spokesperson, Darren Work had to say this evening. The potential future Minister for the Environment. Indeed, yeah. It's, um, first of all, it's good to see uh, some political engagement. I mean, this government for all its faults and failings, has been engaged. It has taken climate seriously. Um, the previous 10 years, nothing happened. This was a lost decade in climate action. And because of that, everything that this government has to do, all three parties, is so much more difficult because of the missed opportunities from 2010 to 2020. So credit... The scale where, is much bigger. The scale is much bigger. The crisis is much, much deeper, much more urgent. We There were... That the opportunity to gently downslope our emissions, unfortunately, that opportunity was lost and, and, and passed us by. We're now facing much more strenuous uh, emissions reductions targets. Uh, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, the government has set a 51% emissions reduction target by 2030, which is extremely aggressive. However, it is only in line with what the minimum, the science says, that we have to do. And did you feel confident after hearing both politicians this evening that they have the answers? No. Um, I'm afraid not. Uh, I think you also mentioned that at, at the present it's estimated that the best we can do is 28% by 2030. That simply is coming up way short. Now, and even at that, we have, of course, all the sectoral special pleaders, including some government ministers, pleading on behalf of special interests that their sector should carry none or almost none of the burden. And of course, the problem with this is what they're doing is basically saying other parts of the economy can take the pain instead. So and I think that's a really key point in all of this, isn't it, John? Um, that if we say for agriculture that they only have to cut um, their emissions by 22%, which is still huge, we get that, then the other sectors, they have to compensate, don't they? That's right. So that's, that's transport, that's households, that's other industry. Actually, that's millions of people not involved in that sector, who are being told because uh, one sector, the livestock sector, refuses to cut its, its or to do its share of, of, of emissions reductions, therefore a million, two million, three million ordinary taxpayers and householders are going to have to take more pain because of that. And that's the part of the conversation, Kira, that is often forgotten. Uh, when, when you take a bigger piece of the pie, in this case, emissions reductions, you leave less for everybody else and you make the job so much more difficult for other sectors. And I don't think that has come through in the discussion on this to date. OK, and we did talk about the difficulty uh, coming to an agreement with the agriculture uh, sector uh, and the minister. Let's talk about what they're doing in New Zealand. Uh, they have an interesting policy there, a burp tax. That's right. The New Zealand Ministry of Environment last month put forward the idea of a burp tax. New Zealand has an enormous ruminant herd. That basically means uh, cattle and sheep. And the methane emissions from ruminants uh, is a huge source of global warming. And it's also, the, the positive side of methane is that it's a, it's a gas that, that washes out of the atmosphere much more quickly than CO2, which means that while it's an extremely dangerous gas when you emit it, you can get good carbon reductions by reducing it. So what the New Zealand government are basically doing is applying the oldest one in the book called polluter pays. If you benefit from uh, methane emissions, well, you should pay for the social cost of those. And at the moment, for example, there's an enormous free ride on people who are involved in colossal emissions on, and to benefit a very, very small number of people. I can't imagine what the uh, farming lobby and the farmers watching this evening would make of that, John. It wouldn't be popular at all. Sure, but we're in an emergency and the biggest threat facing the agricultural community in Ireland, facing householders listening to us this evening, the biggest threat 
is not environmental commentators, I assure you. The biggest threat is the climate emergency and our destabilizing and our unraveling climate system. And bear in mind that farmers work outdoors. Therefore, they're the ones who are in, directly in the firing line of, of climate breakdown. And we did also mention air travel and it's not actually involved, aviation is not part of these sort of climate reductions in, in Ireland. But it's something that is seen as a major climate sin, isn't it? I think probably in particular playing a business class, but we all do it. Most of us really like to do it. But what you're saying is we all need to take responsibility. We all need to cut back on that, as painful and as difficult as that may seem. Yeah, there's enough pain here to go around for everybody. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, their estimate is that globally we're going to need to reduce aviation by about 90 to 95%. Now, there is no way we can undertake reductions on that scale without a fundamental rethink. And I know people are saying, well, that's ridiculous. We can't, we can't go back to the 50s. In fact, we can. It is possible to manage, uh, for example, to redevelop and re reinvigorate domestic tourism, uh, as Claire alluded to in her earlier reports. Uh, we, we, basically, we're over-consuming. And in this part of the world, in Ireland and rich countries like Ireland, and we are a very rich country. We're also the third highest per capita polluter in the European Union, which is one of the highest in the world. Okay. So we have a disproportionate uh, responsibility here, Kira. And the background to all of this is we're seeing temperatures potentially of over 40 degrees in the UK this weekend. Yeah. In the last 500 years, at least, of instrumental measurements, temperatures in the UK have never exceeded about 38.7 degrees centigrade. This weekend, we're expecting to breach 40 degrees. The last time that 38 figure was back in 2019. If you take the seven hottest years on the instrumental record, which goes back to the 19th century, all seven have occurred since 2015. The okay. climate system is destabilizing right now. Um, John, I spent a couple of days researching this and I have to say, I didn't feel positive and I certainly didn't feel hopeful. I actually felt quite overwhelmed looking at this um, what do you say to people who might be feeling like that tonight? Welcome to my world. Yeah, I'm afraid it is it is tough medicine. And I do understand, Kira, why so many people are putting their head in the sand about this. They 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 tune out, they don't want to hear about it because it's tough medicine. And those but, amazing NASA pictures today maybe remind us what it was all about, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what we're what we've seen now from this is just this amazing ability. And and really what that shows us is when humans put their minds to things that it we're capable of incredible things. I think the context really for, for, for these deep space photographs, first of all, of course, they, they put uh, humanity in its context, but they also remind us, I'd suggest, Kira, that in all the explorations into deep space, there's very little indication that there's another world as, as hospitable to human life, indeed to life generally, as this one. And, so and the message for me is we really need to cherish this one. All right, well, that's it from us on The Tonight Show and our climate special. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. And you can also now find us on Instagram, Tonight VMTV. From all of our guests, thank you. And from all the team here, good night and do take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. 